Welcome to Leadership and Life with Sandy Giroux. When you think about today's great leaders, do you ever wonder what makes them so great? Is it just the titles they hold? Or could it also be how they behave toward their people? They lead effectively, not because they have a job in their life, but because they bring life to the job. By following their examples, you can do the same. Now, here's your host, Sandy Giroux. Welcome, everyone, to Leadership and Life. I'm your host, Sandy Giroux, and today, as we talk about more ways to turn your workplace into a wow place, we're going to talk about communication and the fact that without effective communication, you cannot be an effective leader. I know, I know, you're probably rolling your eyes right now saying, okay, Sandy, great news flash, right? That's pretty obvious. I know, right? But How many things go wrong because of incomplete, ineffective, or incoherent communication? And that's if it happens at all. In fact, George Bernard Shaw had a great saying, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. (laughs) Great concept. And this simple concept is responsible for untold millions of dollars of profit, Mainly because it is discounted as so obvious and so basic that it doesn't warrant any real attention by leadership. By the way, as we talk today, if you have any thoughts on communication or any tips on how you communicate better or you'd like to ask any questions, I'd love it if you wanted to call in. Our listener line is one 866 472 That's 866 866- Four seven two fifty seven ninety. So I'd love to hear from you if you'd like to chime in. But back to communication. How often have you communicated something, and very clearly at that, or so you thought, only to have someone come back to you and say, oh, I didn't know you wanted me to do that, or I thought you meant this. And the this is something completely and totally different from what you thought you had communicated. It happens all the time. In fact, when leadership challenges occur, let me tell you, they usually fall into one or more of four categories. The first is trust. Then there's execution. So do we trust our leaders? Do they trust us? Do we trust each other? Do our people execute properly? Do they follow the procedures and the processes? Do they use the tools that we give them or not? And then follow through. Are we following through on our promises and enabling people to carry through a situation or scenario all the way from beginning to an end? Are we empowering to do them in a wow fashion all along the way? And I will bet that you can guess the fourth category. That's right, today's topic, communication. In fact, here are some statistics showing the cost of poor communications in business. A study that was done by an organization called 360 Solutions showed that an average business with 100 employees experiences downtime of 17 hours per week or about $528,000 plus annually just clarifying communications. Well, what did you mean? Who was supposed to do that? I wasn't sure on the date. This information was missing. Where did you want us to go? What was supposed to happen? 
just clarifying what people think that they're communicating clearly. So communication is happening, but it's not clear what people are supposed to do or when or how or where. And sometimes they don't even know who is supposed to be doing what. It's just not clear. Also, a multi-year Gartner Group survey showed that more than 80% of IT projects were late, over budget, short of expectations, or simply undelivered as a result of poor communication at the outset. You know, I'm a former systems analyst. That's right, a business systems consultant and systems analyst. And I used to work as the liaison between the end user of any particular application system that we had in our company and the programmers who were supposed to do the coding to make it happen. And it is just amazing. There's an old saying. In fact, there's a funny old poem that goes to the the rhythm of the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas. Now, I can't remember the whole thing. And, man, I have searched all over the Internet trying to find it. This was way back. But it was all about systems analysts and programmers talking about users and how they try to communicate in a way that the the programmers and the systems analysts can understand what they're looking for. But the last couple of lines go, and I heard him exclaim, and I can't even remember the part of it, but the end line is, it's just what I asked for, but not what I want. So (laughs) that's the user saying to the systems analyst, here's what I want. But sometimes because the system hasn't even been put in yet, They don't know what to ask for. That's why the liaison comes in. And that liaison needs to ask tons and tons of questions. What do you want it to look like? What's the purpose? How are we supposed to do it? What are they supposed to be looking for? How will we know if it's right? How will we know if there's something wrong? All these questions are things that you can put into practice by remembering that last line of that poem. It's just what I asked for, but not what I want. So help your people get what you really want and not just what you're asking for by making sure you're asking the right way. Now, here's another interesting fact too. The Holmes report found that the cost of productivity losses due to communication barriers is $26,041 per worker per year. That's the cost of productivity losses simply due to miscommunication and communication barriers. They also found, and this was really interesting, that poor communication during change increases misconduct by 42%. So if people don't know what they're supposed to do, instead of trying to find out, they will just do what they want or what is expedient, whether it's right or not. 42% increases. That was amazing to me. And finally, though, on the positive side, Towers Watson reports that companies with highly effective internal communications had 47% higher returns to their shareholders. So if your communications internally are effective, you're more profitable. And effective communication is critical in our current business environment, as well as the transparency that is a necessity if you ever want to engage your people to the highest levels, especially in times of crisis. Now, people, and this is not just your employees I'm talking about, but your customers, 
and your potential customers are less tolerant than ever before of seeming cover-ups that occur when things go wrong. Take the Tylenol scare during the fall of 1982, when for reasons unknown, someone replaced Tylenol extra-strength capsules with cyanide-laced capsules, then resealed the packages and put them on the shelves of at least a half dozen or so pharmacies and food stores in the Chicago area. Now, by the time it was over, seven people had died. Their symptoms and sudden deaths, though, drove doctors crazy until the link was discovered and traced back to identical pill bottles that each smelled like almonds, which, by the way, is the telltale scent of cyanide. Now, the mystery of who did it and why has never been solved. But what Johnson & Johnson did in response to the discovery and handling of the problem is legendary. And it's actually become a case study of what to do in times of extreme crisis to keep your company from going under as a result. Without an individual or group to blame, Tylenol could have been blamed for the problem. And at that time, Tylenol and its parent corporation, Johnson & Johnson, was the nation's leading painkiller, with a market share greater than the next four top painkillers combined. All of that could have been in jeopardy without fast action and fast communication. That big a company could have had a big problem if they didn't act quickly. So they immediately recalled all of their products from store shelves. That cost them millions of dollars. But by doing this, the company emerged as another victim of the crime and more importantly, as a company that put... Everyone, I guess we had a little glitch here. I don't know if it was at my end or what happened, but something went on and caused me to cut out. So I was in the middle of telling you about Tylenol and how they immediately recalled all of their products from store shelves once they heard that there was a problem. It cost them millions of dollars, but by doing this, the company showed that they cared about customers above profit. They even issued national warnings ur urging the public not to take Tylenol and established a hotline for worried customers to call. So the communication here was both ways. They were sending information out and they were asking for people to call in if they had any concerns, allowing communication into the company as well, rather than disappearing from the face of the earth and then you know people didn't know what was happening. Now, once it was over, they really quickly established their brand and recovered all of the market share that was lost during the incident. But as a result, this case has become a model for effective corporate crisis management, and it all hinged on decisive action and quick, complete, and caring communication. Now, you don't have to have a crisis of such epic proportions to learn a lesson from this story. You can bring it to a small corporate level, a team level, or even an individual level if you keep a few important guidelines and principles in mind. First, in the absence of real information, 
people will make up their own information. I mean, just look at the amount of fake news out there. People take one tiny detail, whether it's true or not, and either blow it all up out of any proportion or they add to it and run with it without fact-checking the way they should. I even heard a speaker one time say, we're all graduates of MSU. And no, that's not Michigan State University. It's make stuff up. (laughs) Don't let them make stuff up. And here are some examples of what happens when you allow your people to make stuff up. It's demonstrated by some of the comments that are very common on employee surveys and companies where sometimes, you know, the mistrust is there or the level of trust isn't quite where it should be or where clear communication is not occurring. One comment is that managers and supervisors who cause the problems seem to be patted on the back. This is often a case of employees just making stuff up simply because they see no ramifications for those who hold leadership positions when they misbehave. Now, that's not to say that you need to advertise every reprimand that everyone receives. No, but you do need to address this issue by letting people know that, you know, hey, listen, tell them, Just as you would hope that if you were reprimanded for something, I wouldn't advertise it to everyone in the company. Just understand that we're not doing that for anyone else either. They may not see the reprimand, but just have faith that it is occurring. But then you have to make sure that any bad behavior that's occurring will not and cannot be tolerated or allowed to continue. If it is, the mistrust only grows greater. See, they have to see improvements in what they observe to be improper actions. So if a manager or supervisor especially is breaking a rule or even just a company value, employees must be able to see that that manager quickly stops engaging in those behaviors and changes for the better. Now, for example, if someone at any level for that matter, not just in leadership, is being allowed to bully and belittle others, that behavior has to stop as well. In order for people to trust you, when you tell them that the rules apply to everyone, they must see the evidence of that, even if they don't see the reprimands behind any bad behavior that is visible to them. Now, another comment that often shows up on employee surveys is that they're always doing surveys But employees fear that they're editing the surveys and removing comments that are negative, only showing the good ones when they publish the results. Many employees also fear that even though you say that surveys are not traced back to any employee, they still believe that they are. And they're afraid to speak up honestly for fear of reprisal. Another comment related to surveys is that leaders are always doing surveys, but nothing ever comes of them. Well, Don't let surveys and suggestions go into a black hole, never to be heard from again. Publish the results fairly, including any appropriate negative comments. Obviously, if something is ridiculous, you don't want to publish that and, you know, create even more of a big deal of it. But then publish a plan of action to address them. 
Invite feedback and praise those who respond with fair and honest constructive suggestions. Offer rewards for suggestions aimed at improving processes, procedures, profits, and other business-related goals. Also, here's something you could do. Instead of just doing large-scale employee surveys, hold smaller focus groups aimed at solving one specific problem. Um, Invite responsible employees from every level of the organization and publish the results of the focus groups. Start small. Once you've recognized and communicated success from one effort, employees will start to trust that you really do value their feedback and won't take reprisal against them for offering it. One other comment that bears discussion that comes up on surveys a lot is this. Large problems are swept under the rug and small problems are magnified. Well, again, let's face it. If there's no communication when a problem occurs, people think leaders are covering it up. This is sounds like is what's happening in these cases when they hear something like this. But just as in the Tylenol example, the same principle applies here. Communication is absolutely necessary in times of trouble, not just to put employees' minds at ease about what's happening and the status of their future. I mean, if it's a really big problem, what do you think they're thinking? (laughs) Am I going to have a job tomorrow? Is this company going to be here tomorrow? Are they going to handle it properly? No, there are other companies out there that have not responded quickly enough to crises of public relations And they're suffering layoffs and potential closings as a result. Now, when you have that communication, though, communicating and with full transparency, or at least as much as is appropriate, also has another benefit. It can muster the troops. It can get people re-engaged in an effort to make an immediate impact in helping turn things around, turn a difficult situation around, or maybe even be the impetus to bring the organization to new heights when it comes to accomplishing their goals. Now, what we've just discussed are some principles for handling things when they happen and handling them quickly when they happen before they get blown up out of all proportion and then it's difficult to bring them back. But just as important to the success of your organization is planning up front what to do when mishaps occur. Now, you can do things like preparing in advance by having formal communications plans and things like that. And when we come back from break, which we're about to take right now, we'll talk about a few principles to help you prepare in advance for when formal and critical communications need to take place so that you're ready when they happen and not blindsided by them after the fact and then scrambling at a time of crisis to try to think of what to do. So come on back and we'll talk about what to do to plan for the future. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? 
Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees in 125 companies activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to sandy at thewowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life. And we're back. We've been discussing the importance of clear communications on the part of leaders, especially during times of crisis or business challenges. Well, here are a few principles to help you prepare in advance for when formal and critical communications need to take place. First, Develop a crisis communications plan ahead of time. Ensure that you know who needs to be notified, guidelines for how many people need to be involved in the initial notification, and who should be notified, who should respond. Be sure, too, that the lists are all up to date and complete. Don't just assume that this will happen. You know, get your administrative professionals involved in this and assign someone to take charge of this program. Because every time I speak to staff members, or I'm going to say 99% of the time I speak to staff members, even they aren't sure who is supposed to be keeping things up to date. I've even heard horror stories from companies, not just from administrative staff, but leadership everywhere, that the lists are assumed to be up to date. And then when a crisis happens, they're not. They have bad email addresses, completely missing phone numbers, cell phones that have been changed. I even heard a horror story of a, a list that had the name of a gentleman on it who was in a critical role who had passed away three years prior. Three years and his name was still on the list because it slipped through this incredibly big crack, again, because people are not paying attention to the level of detail they need to when it comes to communicating. So 
who is taking care of your list? And is there a master list? I've also gone to companies where they will have one list that people will use. And then I have, when they finally get people together from different departments, I have people from another department saying, wait a minute, that's not where we get our list. Our list comes from here. There are multiple versions of the same list in some companies, some complete, some incomplete, and sometimes all incomplete. But if you pieced them all together, you would have one good list. So Pay attention to this. Get your people involved to find out who is supposed to be taking care of that. Many an additional problem has occurred simply because everyone assumed someone was keeping up the contact list, but no one was. And then things fell apart unnecessarily as a result. So the first thing is to develop a crisis communications plan and know who is supposed to be on it. Make sure those lists are up to date. Develop the plan and the list. Second, recognize that your employees all have access to social media. So you need to put a plan together to allow them to participate properly in social media communications, especially when a problem is happening or if they're to refrain from doing so. Make the guidelines clear. And again, make sure that all employees know that the guidelines exist and what they are. So often I hear this too, where someone will say, well, does anybody know how to do this? Well, did you know that there's a procedure for that? Whoa, I didn't know that. I thought I was the only one who was struggling with this. No, 17 other people have this problem too, but there is no forum for anyone to share the processes and procedures. And many people don't even know that they exist because they don't know where that holding center is for all of the information. So make sure everyone knows that they exist, what they are, where they are, how to access them, or start doing outward communications yourselves. Third, plan to accept responsibility if you're at fault. I know this sounds easy, or not easy, it sounds obvious, but it is not easy. Admitting that you're wrong is always difficult. But if you are and you take responsibility and come up with a plan of your own to handle it, then that shows your strength and your integrity when you admit what's bound to come out anyway. Just remember, with the plethora of outlets that there are now for whistleblowers, for social media people who just love to tweet and post on Facebook and LinkedIn, to reporters and diggers of information everywhere, the truth will come out. So beat them to the punch and just plan to own up. However, be careful that you don't apologize or accept blame if you've done nothing wrong. Tell them that you're investigating. As soon as you find out that there was something, then you can own up, but do not just apologize if you haven't done anything. This could be a serious mistake that could come back and bite you later on in court maybe, because you apologize for something. It wasn't really your for- fault, but you were still apologizing. So be really careful about that. And fourth, take quick action. Having the plans in place to gather your response team is a way to do that. You have to have quick plans to handle any situation that arises. And you know that they never occur during normal working hours, right? It always happens after hours, at night, on weekends, on holidays. Make sure that you have people on call, even during those times, who can respond quickly to a crisis when it occurs. And then 
that will allow you to quickly communicate what you plan to do and when and allow you to follow through on your promise. Now, these are all great principles that will help you as leaders of your organization overcome the difficulties that occur in the workplace when communication is not present or, you know, is not happening quickly enough. So make sure that you overcome them. But it's just as important in your personal life to understand the impact that any communication at all has on others as people. So I'd like to give you a few stories that show how one simple word, one simple piece of communication can create instant magic wherever you go, whether you're at work or whether you're not, in connecting you with other people. So allow me to take you on a brief journey to the airport. I do a lot of traveling, and my home airport is Orlando International Airport. That's where I I live in Orlando area, and that's where I go in and out of most of the time. So I'm at the airport, standing in line, waiting for my turn to order a much-needed cup of coffee at 6.10 a.m. I'm not a morning person, so I need to get that coffee once I get to the airport, because you know you can't bring drinks in any more from home. So I make my way to the counter and greet the cashier with a cheery good morning. Nothing. First I thought she just didn't hear me. So I repeated, good morning. A glare from her was my return greeting. And she actually clamped her lips together to show me that she was not going to utter one word to me. Okay, so obviously she heard me. She just doesn't want to speak to me. Now, after ordering, paying for, and receiving my coffee, I could not help myself. And those of you who know me well are not going to be surprised by this at all. I commented to her, you know, it's pretty disrespectful to intentionally refuse to speak to someone when they speak to you. Now, the manager overheard my comment and came over, asked what the problem was, and then apologized for the cashier once I explained what happened. I'm thinking that should have taken care of it. Flash forward one week. The same cashier is there again, behaving the same way to every customer in line. So rather than deal with this, I am really aggravated now because I know the manager got involved last week. Here she is again. I went and bought my morning coffee from a different vendor that day, even though I like the first vendor's coffee better. However, on my third visit, I noticed that that cashier is no longer there. Whew! Big sigh of relief. And I returned to my favorite coffee vendor where I buy my coffee again now. Now, I know some of you are probably, again, rolling your eyes and saying, well, how can you be that cheery in the morning? (laughs) Point taken. But, you know, guess what? I often tell people when they ask, how can you be so cheerful in the morning? Well, I can be cranky too. Would you like to see that? (laughs) I don't think so. However, if you really are not a morning person and don't like to be cheery, then just don't, please don't accept a position where it's one of your most important duties to do so. That was the wrong position for that woman. But the point is, 
that a simple word or two would have created instant magic for everyone that that woman dealt with. A greeting of good morning or how may I help you? In fact, almost any words at all would have eliminated the impression of rudeness and the uncaring attitude that was putting off customers and, by the way, puts off coworkers alike. And it's not just everyone else who has to follow this practice. We have to do it every day ourselves in our personal lives as well. For example, about a couple of months ago, I was standing in front, again at the airport, in front of the self-service counter in the food court area. And there was the self-service counter and the drink machines. When I'm trying to juggle all kinds of things, I've got my bag next to me. Of course, I had on a an off-white, winter-white coat. And I had coffee in my hand. I'm trying to get sugar and cream. And darn it all, I spilled coffee on my white coat. So... I'm fumbling with the bags and the food and wet napkins, trying to remove the coffee before the stains could set. And I can feel my fellow travelers getting a little impatient with me for blocking up the area. I could almost feel their eyes boring into my back, right, as I was taking up all the room there unintentionally. So I just turned and said, I'm sorry, I just spilled coffee on my coat. Boom! instant magic. My fellow travelers went from slightly annoyed and getting more so as my silence went on to instantly understanding and extremely helpful. One of them offered me a wet nap that she had in her bag while another one, get a load of this, offered me her cup of water saying that it would be more convenient for me to use her water and she was willing to actually go back to the counter and request a new cup and get some more water. She was willing to go back in line for me so I could take care of my problem more quickly. All because I turned and explained what was happening. See, a couple of words of explanation was all it took for people to go from annoyed to instantly compassionate and helpful. The same concept applies in the workplace when you're dealing with team members and colleagues. A few simple words to show we care about others as people rather than employees who exist solely to work for us, to do our bidding and to just, you know, sit there and shut up and do what you're told works wonders for their attitude and willingness to go the extra mile for customers, for each other and for us. So keep that in mind that we are all human beings and we like to communicate to different extents but when something's going on that we don't understand we really like a quick explanation now here's another quick story for you and this one really is for the workplace or for any place I want to tell you about it a a gentleman shared this story with me telling me that he had um He had bought a restaurant several years back, and when he bought the restaurant, all of the team members in the restaurant came with it. Now, one long-term team member excelled at her job, and she could consistently be counted on to get her work done on time and very capably. However, on the other hand, she was extremely grumpy and unpleasant to work with and getting progressively worse as time goes on, you know. One One day, other team members were coming to him, and 
they were trying and trying to get this woman to cheer up, but they started coming to him and saying, you have to do something about this. We don't want to work with her anymore. We're going to leave if you don't take care of this. So now he's in danger of either losing her or losing the rest of the team who don't want to have to deal with her. So what happened was this. The worker in question was the one who does the food prep for the next day's menu. And her shift was currently scheduled for 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Now, the new owner does not want to lose her because her work is stellar, but her attitude has to change. And he's got four choices at this point. He can either ignore the problem and hope it goes away or get the others used to her being that way and get them not to let it bother them. Or he can coach his other employees to accept her as she is and accept everybody as they are. Or he could talk to her and try to find a way to change her attitude and behavior before he has to let her go. Or option four is just let her go. She's too much trouble. Well, the leader chose option three talking to her to find a way to change her attitude and behavior without having to fire her. So he went to her one morning and said, you know, your work has always been so good and I appreciate what you do for us, but I hate to see you so unhappy here. What's going on? Wow. Really? She said, and get a load of this. She said, I hate getting up early in the morning. That was it. She hated getting up early in the morning. So putting on his creative thinking hat, he just confirmed, now your job is to prepare the food for the next day's menu, right? And when she said yes, he said, well, I don't see any reason why you have to come in at 7 a.m. to do that. What if we changed your shift to start at 11 a.m.? The look on her face could have lit up the sky. And he let her do that. But see, she didn't bother communicating with him, maybe because she'd been slammed down on that point in the past. And if he hadn't bothered to communicate with her, and by the way, approaching it in a very empathetic way by saying, instead of, oh, you're making everybody miserable, why are you acting this way? He said, I hate to see you so unhappy here. He changed everything and created, again, instant magic with his communication. Now, we're just about ready to take another break, and when we come back, we'll keep talking a little bit more about what you can do in your life to help create more instant magic through effective communication. So stay tuned. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. 
Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees in 125 companies activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to sandy at thewowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad you've joined us today for Leadership and Life, where we're talking about the importance of communications in our personal and professional lives. And I told you that when we came back, we would talk about some ways that you can hold some of those conversations, which can be difficult at times. But if you just approach them from the human standpoint we talked about before the break, it makes them much easier. But here's a great method for giving feedback to somebody, especially if it's performance feedback, constructive feedback. It's called the sandwich method. And I know there are detractors to this method, but let me explain what the method is, and then I'll talk to you about why some people don't like it and what you can do about that. First of all, the sandwich method is a way of offering something that you appreciate first, some positive feedback to the person that you're talking to. Even when you have to coach them on something, start with something positive. Let them know at least that they're doing something right. Then in the middle, right after that, you can put in the constructive feedback and then close out with something else positive that they've done, like a sandwich, okay? So you're putting the positive feedback at the beginning and the end and the constructive feedback in the middle. Now, some people tell me, well, Sandy, I hate the sandwich method because, you know, they always know that when you go to say something good, you know it's going to be followed by something bad. <laughs> well, okay, you have complete control over this, remember, if you don't want that to happen where you're establishing a pattern that every time you say something good, you follow it with something bad, well, then say something good sometime and don't follow it with something bad. It's as easy as breaking those bad habits. Uh, the other thing that I've heard is that sometimes when they use the sandwich method, the people just focus on the positive feedback and they don't take the constructive feedback and run with it and do anything with it. Well, again, if you put your focus in the right spot, helping them to understand. I really enjoyed or appreciated what you did yesterday with that customer or that patient or that coworker. Now, next time, maybe you can just take it one step further and make sure that you ask them about this, right? But really, great job in thinking ahead and you know taking the bull by the horn so that we didn't have any other problems. That's all the sandwich method is. But make sure you put your focus and your emphasis on what it is that you're giving them constructive feedback on and exactly what they should do. 
and have a conversation with them about it. Ask them, do you see opportunities to use this principle in the future? Do you see some examples of other places where you could have done this? Things like that. And even offer a story of yourself doing it so that they will see it's not just them that you're asking to do this, but you will do it yourself. So don't forget about the sandwich method, but control it. Make sure that you know the impressions you're giving out there. You know, if you have to hold a conversation with someone, though, especially a superior, and we all have superiors, I don't care if you're a CEO, you're usually going to have a chairman of the board, or maybe there is a board, maybe there's not a board, maybe there's an advisory board, or maybe it's just the rest of your executive team and your family that you're trying to provide for. Everyone has someone that they need to account for. So here are some tips. First, prepare in advance. Get your facts straight. Gather backup and documentation. You know that people are going to ask for it, and you want to be prepared for any questions that they may have. So bring it with you to the discussion. Second, ensure that you know what their understanding of the problem is. Don't assume that they have the same understanding you do. If you're uncertain, ask them, do you understand the problem, or can you give me your understanding of what the problem is that's ongoing and make sure everyone's starting from the same page. Also, give them a time estimate for the conversation. If you just say, hey, do you have a minute? Well, what's going to happen at about the two-minute mark or maybe the five-minute mark? Right. They're going to get antsy. They will lose focus and patience and wonder just how long this is going to take rather than focusing on the message you're trying to deliver. And when you give them that time estimate, overestimate the amount of time you think it will take. They may have more questions than you expected. If you tell them you need 20 to 30 minutes and then only take 15, well, great. You've given them the gift of time. But if you tell them 10 and then try to take 20 or 30, well, you can imagine what's happening in their minds. Don't beat around the bush either. Get to the point quickly. Otherwise, what's happening in their minds, in addition to the problem with your timing, is that you're allowing them to build it up in their minds as they wonder, oh my gosh, how bad is this really? If they can't even spit it out, then this must be really bad. So get there quickly and don't allow them to make stuff up. Also, be prepared with at least a partial solution or even some workarounds to implement while you acquire a solution for permanent use. Remember, if you're not part of the solution, you're what? Right, part of the problem. And then finally, be sure to inform the other person of what your objectives are from the conversation. Do you need them to do something? Or are you all set with what needs to be done and you just want to inform them so they're not blindsided? Remember, when you tell someone of a problem, most people want to swing into action. So let them know up front if you do or don't need something specific from them. And if the problem is going to take a while to solve, ask them how often they wish to be informed of the progress of the solution. Now, if you know them well enough, you could make a suggestion and ask if it's acceptable to them. But if not, just ask. It's better to find this out up front than to overwhelm them with unnecessary updates or keep them in the dark when they want to be informed more often. And while we're on the subject of communicating, 
let's not forget the importance of keeping and using our sense of humor when we want to diffuse tension, address an elephant in the room, or even just get a message across. For example, oh, here is a hysterical story. It happened to a friend of mine who worked at a university that had an ESL department. The ESL is English as a second language. And in the ESL department, for some reason, the pencils kept going missing. I know. Strange, huh? Now, now those in that department could not figure out who was taking their pencils, and they could have just put out a very stern memo asking people not to take their pencils anymore. But a very creative member of their staff did something quite different and unexpected. Instead, he created a graphic. It had a picture of a milk carton on it, you know, like they have with missing children. Well, the word missing was at the top of the panel, and there was a photo of some freshly sharpened new pencils on the left side of the panel, representing what the pencils looked like on the day they went missing. Now, on the right side, (laughs) it's hysterical. There was a photo of some chewed up, used, crummy looking short, stubby pencils with the caption that it was an FBI age enhanced photo of what the pencils might look like today. Now, the, quote, agency requesting any information on the missing writing instruments was the Center for Missing and Exploited Office Supplies, and the phone number to call was 1-800-YOU-CAN'T-BE-SERIOUS. <laughs> Hysterical! Now, they put this out to everyone at the school by email, and guess what? The pencils stopped disappearing. And no one had to be lectured to achieve the desired result. So your communications don't always have to be these big, stuffy, formal things either. They can just be fun, informative, entertaining, or just diffusing tension. And and talk about diffusing tension. Another story I heard of one time was of a professional speaker who was ready to address a large audience. Now, he was all mic'd up and ready to go, standing by the stairs to the stage while he was being introduced. When his introduction was over, he comes bounding up the steps only to catch his foot and trip on the last step. Well, he went flying across the stage on his back. The crowd gasped in horror as he went down. Now... Obviously, he has two choices at this point. He could either just get up and be really nervous, making the audience nervous with him, or he could do what he did, which was to stay on the floor, bring the mic to his lips, and say, I'll now entertain questions from the floor. Brilliant. Now, when you show that you're okay and you know you're only human, you can laugh at yourself and That allows everyone around you to relax, too. You can actually give them permission not only to laugh with you, but also give them permission to laugh at themselves at some point in the future when they do something equally potentially embarrassing, but ultimately pretty funny because it illustrates the human condition. And here's another great story of how we as adults want to have a good time, even in what could be considered a very stuffy situation. There was a situation where several big companies had been vetted for a very large contract. Now, all of them had risen to the final selection process where they were to give one 
final presentation before the company was going to make a choice on who their vendor of choice would be. Now, one sales team, knowing and keeping in mind that they have all the basics down, okay, or they wouldn't still be in the running, decided to do something different with their final presentation to the executives. Rather than going in with charts and graphs and features and benefits, which they'd already covered, and so had every other company still in the running, they did something different. They created a video demonstrating their services, their impact on their customers, and other interesting and fun elements. And just before the presentation began, they passed out to every executive in the meeting popcorn and soda, and then dimmed the lights and said to the executives, enjoy the show. Again, brilliant, because they knew they had to stand out from their competitors. So their communications could not look like the same old, same old. They had to be different. And recognizing that their communication vehicle and style was the one thing they could use to differentiate themselves, they chose to wow those executives. And by the way, won the contract. So our communications can be, must be informative, but they can also be fun, unique, interesting, and different. And that may be the thing that wins the day for us. Remember, be human, be approachable. Be empathetic and let your humanity connect with other people's hearts. So now that we're talking about popcorn and soda and winning the day, let's talk about food. My recipe for this week, by the way, is going to be a bit of a surprise for you if you've been following my show and my recipes for the last couple of months. So as you know, I'm Italian. My maiden name is Pettorelli, and I usually share Italian or American favorites with you because obviously we're here in America. But what you don't know is that I'm a fan of almost every cuisine, and I sometimes like to mix it up big time. I get bored with the same old thing all the time. So a long time ago, I got intrigued with Chinese cuisine. And I actually took a Chinese cooking course. So today's recipe is an adaptation I made from one of the traditional classic Chinese recipes I learned called Ants on a Tree, or sometimes called Ants Climbing a Tree. Now, it's called that because it's made of ground pork and cellophane noodles, and that kind of resembles ants climbing on small tree limbs. Now, this recipe does not call for vegetables per se. The classic recipe is just the pork and the noodles and some scallions and ginger and some seasonings in a sauce that is absolutely out of this world. This is a Szechuan dish, by the way, which means it's a little spicy. I don't like really spicy food, so I put in the recipe the full amount of chili paste that they would use, and you can even add more if you like it really hot, but I even back up what I put on there because I don't like it really spicy. But you can add vegetables to the side of the dish, but what I did was I tweaked it. So when you make this one, if you make it the way I do with the note at the bottom, I put vegetables right in with the pork and with my cellophane noodles. And by the way, if you don't have or like cellophane noodles, angel hair pasta is a really nice, yes, I had to get my Italian component in there, right? But even the chef that was teaching the course said, if people don't like or have cellophane noodles, then you can use regular pasta. 
I use angel hair so it's nice and thin. But you'll find that recipe on my show page and you'll be able to click on the links for the recipe for the show. But I add broccoli and mushrooms and asparagus cut into bite-sized pieces, all of that, and snow peas to add a vegetable component to it as well. So I hope you'll try out my modified version of Ants Climbing a Tree. And as usual, if you enjoyed the show today, please spread the word. If you have any questions or ideas from me for me, including topics to include in future shows, I would love to hear from you, either on my show page or my email address, sandy at thewowplace.com. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'm wishing you all a wonderful rest of your day, and I look forward to having you join me next Tuesday right here on the Voice America Business Channel for another episode of Leadership and life. Have a great week. Thank you for joining Sandy Giroux for Leadership and Life. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you again next week.